This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to another round of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast AAC edition. My name's Dan Morrison. That's Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? Hanging in there. We got another uh, exciting weekend of games that we both got to see, which is nice because I was home again. So lots to lots to discuss. Yeah, I like being home for games. I like to go to a couple mm-hmm. games a year, but being home on the couch and just like watching all of them at once, it's the exact reason why attendance is actually down at games. <laughs> but it's, yeah. You know, I love the stadium atmosphere a couple times a year, but so often it's just like, it's nice to just like chill out on a Saturday. You know? I always say that I get exhausted, like going to games. I love it. I would never, ever change what I do. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I just want to say that, but it is tiring week in week, week in week out. But I will say this when I stay home and I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch all the games. I always find a million things to do around the house that detracts me from watching all the games. Yeah. So I need to, if you're going to be home for the weekend, you need to choose do I just skip the NFL games then and do like my housework then? Or do I like just try to shove it in all before, I mean, I'm on the East coast. So all before noon Eastern, you're on the West coast. So it's a little bit different. You like wake up to games. I just like never have enough time to do like it's endless amount of housework. I don't understand where it all comes from, but. You know, trips to Ann Arbor. That okay. Well, and I'm going to tell everybody what happened. Like we were supposed to go to Michigan and I don't know if anyone else is flying like I am right now, but it's crazy. There's a, like Southwest had a big shutdown just the last weekend Mm -hmm. where like all these flights got canceled. People got stranded. And now we're seeing that from American, which is the airline I fly. And I think it's only going to get worse is what employees are telling me because not only with the vaccination stuff that they're requiring like employees to be vaccinated, which people are fighting against and just like heading into the holidays, this is like not the time to fly. So we missed our flights got canceled. Kim missed her flight. Like we did not make it to Ann Arbor. So that was a bummer, but yeah, it's okay. We didn't miss much of a game. No, you didn't. That's, you know, the Northwestern (laughs) promises you didn't miss much. Yes. (laughs) Well, if we had been there, who knows? It could have been chaos, but we'll never know. So it happens. I did get to watch um, most of the AAC games and I'm very happy with my record this week. So yeah, you beat me this week, but we can, I did. Yeah. We, we all know who did me in (laughs) those Tampa. mm. I told you. they just. (laughs) That's the last game I'm going to talk about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We'll save it for last. Yes. Uh, So should we just jump in then? Yeah, Thursday night. Let's do it. Tulane 26, SMU 55. My least favorite game, probably. Sunny Dykes to Texas Tech confirmed. (laughs) Stop. What? No way. I actually think they're probably about equal jobs, the SMU and Texas Tech. I think SMU is a little cushier because of, like, it's just more bougie. Texas Tech is in Lubbock. 
you're not going to get the same lifestyle that you have in Lubbock as you do in Dallas. No, it is different. And to be honest, I think their topic is Jeff Trettler, the UTSA coach, but yeah, I could see that. Okay. But but this game though, Sonny Dykes showed exactly why you'd want him because he's dropped 55 points on your beloved green wave. It's just rough. It's just, it's, I couldn't watch all of it. I'm going to tell you right now. It. I got through a half. I think. Yeah. I watched like three quarters. It's very, it's demoralizing. And then to see that hit on Pratt. I mean, for me, that was like was the scary. hardest moment. That was scary, you know? And I know it's technically not targeting whatever we want to say, but the fact of the matter is he was sliding and I will fight anybody that wants to say he wasn't. No, I, I think it should have been an unnecessary roughness call, but tar- unnecessary roughness and targeting are two different calls. They are. And they did give him yeah. a penalty for a late hit. That's, I think, what he yeah. got. And that's how they, you know, got down the field for the touchdown. But it was unnecessary. It was just so, it was, he was sliding. And that's just kind of, to me, that play was like Tulane season in that yeah. like summation of that play. So. Yeah, I mean, I thought, hard to watch. I thought Pratt. I mean, he was only fifty percent completion percentage wise, but I thought he was pretty good. Otherwise, he, there were no like cataclysmic mistakes from the offense. And in general, he's the, just not doing enough. No, he couldn't get them over the hump. But I don't think no. that. Uh, I don't think he's the biggest issue. I think the biggest issue is going to be the defense the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. I think it's been. Uh, I know it's easy to look at Pratt as he has had a turnover bug this year. Right. You know what I mean? But I think the defense not stopping a nosebleed has been by far the biggest issue. I mean, SMU is the best offense in this conference. I don't think there's any debate about that. Yeah. You know what I mean, and Tulane, I think might very well be the worst defense. And yeah, but it was, it was SMU's defense is not good. So it's like, why yeah. couldn't? No, but I mean, 26 points isn't miserable. No, you're right. And I think once you get on your heels and you get out of your game plan, it's tough to come back. Mm-hmm. That's just my thought on that, at least. Um, you're right. You know, I also think that we talk a lot about De- uh, Desmond Ritter as like, oh, is he a dark horse Heisman guy? You know, because that's, you know, the G5 gets one dark horse Heisman candidate a year. And so whoever's on right. the best team, Tanner Mordecai is so much better. Than yeah. Ritter. And he, if we're going to talk who should be like a Heisman candidate from the AAC, it's ob- it should be Mordecai, obviously. Uh, I think that's also true because at Cincinnati, you have Jerome Ford, who's also doing work on the offense. So like Mordecai, I mean, mm -hmm. and more important, it's not the right word, but I was going to say Ford's like just as important to that. Right. And usually, and people forget this about the Heisman. I'd just like to say as somebody who has covered multiple events of this, but still doesn't have a vote, which is ridiculous. um, The tenet of the Heisman is that it's the player that does the most for their team. And that seems to get lost in the shuffle when we're nominating players and saying who should win. Yeah. It's the player that does the most. And I think that's Tanner Mordecai over Desmond Ritter because Ritter does a lot, but he is not the only reason that that offense is good, like you said. So, yeah, I mean, I agree. Just really quickly for Mordecai, he's fifth in the country mm-hmm. in completion percentage, first in touchdowns, eighth in passing yards, and sixth in passer efficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only quarterback that's consistently ahead of him is like Grayson McCall. Like there's other right. quarterbacks who come and go. Kenny Pickett, who you're going to hear a lot of, oh, should he win the Heisman stuff, is behind him in every category, like mm-hmm. statistically. And you know what uh, Tanner Mordecai didn't do this year? Lose to what? Western Michigan. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, oh boy. I do hate when it becomes just a quarterback award too, because it's, yeah. it shouldn't be. Like I go back to 2012, like I think, I still think Manti Teo should have won that award in 2012. Nadamakin Sue in his final year. Okay, you cannot award. give the award to a guy who created a fake girlfriend. Like you, you yeah, just but you can't. can give it to the best defensive player in the country. 
who's better than any offensive player in the country. But not if he makes up fake girlfriends. But I, I just, don't think we knew that at the time. We did because I was and there also, at the Heisman that okay. year. Okay, yes, yeah, so it was coming out. We did. Way. But Teo did not know he had a fake girlfriend. That is worse. That and to he me. He got it, pretty hard. I'm not saying he didn't. There is rumor, and I remember this specifically because it dealt with Stanford, because the girl in question, Lanai, whatever her name right. was, said that she went to Stanford, and we were like, this is ridiculous. Why is Stanford getting dragged into this? I remember the month of December, okay? He, there is, I forget, I'll have to go look at the thread, but he found out that this wasn't a real thing and then did not tell anybody right away wouldn't you be so there was an aspect of course but if you're going up for these awards where you know your character is part of because part of the heisman tenant is character okay Mm -hmm. i'm not saying that he purposely you know made up this girlfriend but he did know that it wasn't real and he was using the tragedy as his platform okay he was playing for this girl who's you know died or was in this i I think his grandma was also involved yes that's like it wasn't just his grandmother had an act, like she was separate, but he was using Lene's uh, car accident as like this platform. Like I'm playing for this tragedy and like, uh, mm-mm, mm-mm. can I go? But I agree with you. There the needs best player in the country. <laughs> if you're looking at his football play, fine, but it's all of it. Like you know as well as I do that what you do off the field matters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, you know. There's so the reason why Reggie Bush doesn't have his trophy anymore, it's not because right. they rethought it. And it's dumb that he doesn't have it, by the way. Um, now, because it's changed, yes, but mm-hmm. you still can't have fake girlfriends, okay? That's just a universal rule, okay? So. If it wasn't for fake girlfriends, I'd never have one. <laughs> oh, but on, sh- end of podcast. Yeah, um, shout done. out, <laughs> we're done. Shout out Tanner Mordecai for winning Offensive Player of the Week, obviously, mm-hmm. um, for all the reasons that you said uh, so yeah, I just wanted to add that, that he was offensive player of the week. So I want to give some SMU fans need to come to the games a little bit better. You're undefeated oh. during the top 25. The attendance was not where it should be for that type of program right now. There I did go, see a bunch of girls opinion. having fun and drinking beer on the fields in the student section. So I was like, yeah, okay, no. I mean, it, I think it's still a very good time if you want to go. I just, I thought that it would be close to a sellout and it was nowhere mm-hmm. near that. And I think that that's something that shouldn't happen for a team with that much history in a city and, you know, with an undefeated record. That's all. Dan is the unofficial I, underdog I, I believe in attendance. attendance police. I do think I spoke <laughs> at the top about how I don't love, how I only go to a couple games a year myself because mm-hmm. I like watching mm-hmm. out so much, but that's fine. <laughs> but, but sitting and judging others is the greatest pastime. So it I'll really allow it. all I do. <laughs> Uh, big thing for SMU's defense, I will say something that we're not always impressed with their defense, but they did hold Tulane to four of 12 on third down and one of five on fourth. So to me, yes, offense is always, yeah, but the defense for SMU and they're going to need that physical tough defense heading into Houston next week, which we'll talk about on the next podcast. But so shout out their defense. Good job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we'll move on now. Friday night, the space game, Memphis 7, UCF 24. <laughs> Did you get a chance to catch this one, or were you trying to deal with your, uh, what do you say, American? <laughs> I was... I was trying to fly to Ann Arbor, but I did get to see bits and pieces. I, and I obviously saw the the photos you sent me of the tunnel and their uniforms, mm-hmm. and that was incredible. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the... Uh, what's his name? Eric DeSalvo does a lot of the uh, 
uh, media stuff for UCF. If you look at his Twitter account, there's a ton of really cool stuff. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but the game itself is what I want to focus on because, yeah, they were the best uniforms of the week, won the Uniswag thing. Mm, they were incredible. Although, can I just ask you, UCF UCF had great uniforms. Obviously, I did a whole thing about it in my Out of Bounds uh, because the, the story behind it was so cool. Mm-hmm. Behind the space game is so neat. Mm-hmm. But did you see Oregon's duck egg uniform, the egg shop? Hated them. What? I thought they looked like, like mm, I, they looked like a flurry. They were so they were they were eggshell duck eggshell pattern. I, I thought it was so neat. I think Oregon's uniforms are extremely extremely hit or miss. I think that they yeah. do a lot of different things for me. Those who are missed because they just looked like cookies and cream ice cream. They didn't look like an yeah, eggshell. I me. loved it. I loved it, and I loved the numbers. The same with the UCF numbers, like the mm-hmm. how they were. I liked how. Yeah. Yeah, the Oregon ones were kind of like that too. So, anyways, well, if you guys have an opinion. Weigh in on Twitter because I want to know if we think Oregon's or UCF's were cooler. Because that's a good question. I'm gonna put out a poll right now, actually. Yeah, so go for it. I'm doing it. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, the game. <laughs> so Seth Hennigan <laughs> did not play this game for Memphis, which was a surprise. I don't think that was announced yeah. until like an hour before the game that Peter Parrish, the LSU transfer, would be making his first start. And I think my initial thought watching Parrish play was I really like the raw skill set that he has he's a big strong Mm -hmm. guy he runs very well uh you know you can tell he's got a lot of talent he was not ready to play in a college football game like if we're being honest that's so hard to throw him into a ucf game at home there with their space game like that's a huge game for them like that's asking a lot (laughs) no it's it's true It's it's a huge thing it's a huge ask uh, mm-hmm. There was a few things right away that I noticed was first the UCF pass rush was getting home early and often. That's partially mm-hmm. on the offensive line. It's partially on Parrish for holding the ball too long and yep. not reading those blitzes before they, you know, before the snap, they weren't ready for, you know, there's corner blitzes that were coming untouched, things like that. Just not being ready for the pressure. Uh, he was of course big and strong and got away from them sometimes and was running downfield, but like more mm-hmm. often than not, he ended up sacked and it stalled a few drives out. Uh, later in the game, especially the second half, he started to really force the ball. They had him throw like over 40 times too, by the way. It was incredible yes. how the running game was abysmal for Memphis, but he started throwing interceptions. A couple of them were like tip balls that just like, you know, really good, good play, but also good luck to be standing where the UCF guys were. Another time he hit a UCF corner in the chest. Um, but uh, you're talking about the past. He was sacked six times and he got away. From, he got hit a lot more than that. I know. And he, he, he was the leading rusher for Memphis with 60 yards on 22 carries. Brandon Thomas, the running back, had 19 <laughs> yards rushing. That's not, I mean, especially with, no. again, a guy making his first start. The first pass he threw this game is his first college pass. Like, that's mm. who we're, what we're dealing with right here with Brandon, with uh, Parrish in this With Parrish. And do you think and most they, of his rushing yards were out of necessity? Because yeah, they were he mostly had like, so, like, there was a couple designed runs in there, but a lot of it was scramble. You know right. I mean? uh, but no, they absolutely needed to run the ball more and try to run the ball more because, well, I think you're going to have better luck than letting guys like Big Cat Bryant kind of tee off on you. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's uh, Ricky Barber had a great game on the defensive line for UCF. But no, there's absolutely no balance to Memphis's approach. It was the play calling was uninspired compared to what it was a couple years ago for Memphis. It was predictable and they just weren't scary. At no point in the game were you like, man, Memphis could just score here. Even Calvin Austin was held incredibly well in check. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
he actually, Calvin Austin, had one of the worst decisions on a punt return that's happened in a while. After the Mississippi State game, he saw a ball roll and said, oh, I don't want that to go any further. Tried to pick it up, muffed it, and then the UCF got a short field that put him up 14 nothing early. Yeah. Uh, you texted me about that. I did, didn't I? Uh, yeah. I was like, great. Being, <laughs> with that being said, UCF was not good on offense either in this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ran the ball that's pretty fair. well. Isaiah Bowser was solid. Uh, Mikey Keene was not particularly good, but I also don't entirely blame him because I don't love the two quarterback thing Gus is doing with Joey Gatewood and him. I think I understand you want to bring Gatewood in for kind of a, uh, you know, show a different option, show like Mm -hmm. flex out, you know, he's a big power running quarterback, but it hasn't worked yet. Like every time he comes in, everyone knows he doesn't throw the ball. He's thrown twice this season once was a touch pass he scored gatewood technically had a touchdown pass this game it was a touch pass jet sweep thing doesn't yeah doesn't really count his other pass was at the end against navy and he almost threw an interception when he really shouldn't have been in the game at all yeah but i think it's just it's so obvious that gatewood's gonna run the ball that's very rarely an effective run and mm. it just takes keen out of his rhythm which it's not a great rhythm to begin with because he's very <laughs> clearly a rough he's a freshman who's rough around the edges and has trouble like getting the ball downfield. And I don't think, I, that, I don't think that your quarterback <laughs> system's working is what I'm getting at. And you should just stick with key. Try yep. something else until Gabriel. I agree with you. The ESPN or the AP, they did their like recap, you know, and I was reading it as we do to prep for these things and it had the best line because you know, all the stories we're going to play on the space thing, mm-hmm. you know, kudos to people who can work in, space references into their game stories. We love it. I'm here for it. I was a creative writing major. I'm, I'm here for it, but this, this one's the worst. Okay. It said the nights were somewhat low orbit as Mikey King completed 11 of 19 for 63 yards, his lowest yardage since the season opener, low orbit, Mikey King. Hate that. (laughs) Hate that for him. Yeah. Once you add the 17 yards from that little touch pass thing from Gatewood, you got to 80 yards on the day passing for Mm. for UCF, which makes no. In the same way that the starting running back at Memphis getting 19 yards makes no sense. That makes no sense too. Um, Yeah. It's just a weird. It was a really bad offensive game or good defensive game, depending on how you want to look at it. But I lean more bad offensive. I think, yeah, I agree with you. I will shout out Devontae Brown, uh, sophomore DB from your beloved UCF, had seven tackles with half of a sack and an interception, um, yeah, he had you know, the, in the in the win. Yeah, he had won the three interceptions of Parrish. Yeah, so, so shout yeah. out him for I, honor roll. Yeah, and you know what? It was a good win for UCF. Until they get mm-hmm. Bill and Gabriel back, that's how they have to win games. It just yeah. is. You know, as for Memphis, they're absolutely spiraling. That's four out of five they've lost. It's really rough and because you really don't know which Memphis team is going to show up out there. And that. No, I do my power rankings it. and I still have Memphis at like number six, but I don't feel good about it because I know mm. that the talent's there, but it's not at all producing. Right. You know? So is that, that's got to be like mental to some degree. Like what, what are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Have like a sage burning ceremony or like a, a yeah. sacrifice. Thanks. I'm, the sacrifice is going to be, you know, the coaching staff. If it's not, <laughs> got it, nailed it. No, but I mean, like, it's bad because Memphis lost a couple of games that they really should have won. Mm-hmm. They're like to Tulsa, say, into, uh, I don't know, Temple. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's starting to really get out of hand. And if they're not careful, like, yeah. I mean, they've got SMU next, it looks like. 
And I think they've got by week technically next, but like SMU, ECU, Houston are left on the schedule. Mm-hmm. That's not a, uh, and then two length in the year. Uh, that's not a fun schedule to end if you're Memphis and you're trying to figure things out still. That Memphis two lane game, like, do, like worse. I think you do need to go to it. I kind of want to because, oh, what is going to happen is the question. I mean, like, I mean, I, bad. I'm looking a month in advance. I'd assume Memphis wins the game, but I thought they'd, they'd we win don't all of these yeah, other games. We don't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, good for UCF. Memphis needs to make some strides, but at least and they can regroup. So I think UCF's going to win their next few games until they get okay. to SMU. I think they're looking at a nice eight and four year, depending on when Dylan Gabriel comes back and how it's not bad is. for Gus's first year. You can't it's be not, mad at that, you know. It, you know what? It's not bad, especially when the starting quarterback goes right. down with an injury, and you are always going to lose to Cincinnati, anyways. And yeah, the Louisville loss was a fluke thing, and you know stuff happens from there. It's a weird year, certainly, though, for UCF. It doesn't feel right, but I think the record at the end of the year is going to be like kind of about what a lot of people thought, maybe a little bit worse, but you know, but you didn't think you'd lose to Navy, frankly. But yeah, well, here we are. But three and one out of conference and losses to SMU and Cincinnati, which is, you know, otherwise, like that's pretty normal, you know? Yeah. Anyways, Saturday slate of games Cincinnati 27, Navy 20. Uh oh, Navy hung around a little bit. Uh-oh. I was so excited for this. I watched, I was at the gym early because like when I get to not travel, I can do all the things that I wish I could do normally, which is go to the gym. And I was watching it in the yeah, gym to to the and gym everyone too. was, <laughs> <laughs> well, I need to go. I am like very out of, I used to run oh, all the time. I'm so out of shape. It's I, crazy, but. So am I, but you know, hate it there. It's, fo- it's football. So yeah. I hate the gym as well, but I was watching the Navy Cincinnati game in there and I was just like, okay. Is Navy back? Like to Navy's quote Dan. Yeah, they've been back. Yeah, they're just not winning. <laughs> they're back, but they made it. They, I think, exposed Cincinnati a little bit in places that other teams can take note of and possibly dismantle. You know, I'm talking to you, SMU. Like, if you can get it to together, I understand that, but like, they probably. I know. I know, but I thought it was an interesting game, and Navy. They showed up when they needed to in certain, they can't sustain it. That's the problem. They can't go a whole game. So well, part of it is when you get Navy, like they had that weird kind of sequence at the end of the first half that ended with Cincinnati getting a really long kick to grab momentum in the lead. And then, yeah. you know, Cincinnati came out and scored early in the second half to give themselves like a two score. And then eventually it was 27 to 10, I think at one point. And Navy is not a team that's designed to come from behind. So they really need to be perfect the whole game in terms of not letting that happen because they can't throw their way back. And they almost came back as I, I know that as I say this, but like they're not designed to come from behind. Like they can do it once in a while, but it's not a thing they can consistently do, especially if they have to play a team like Cincinnati where, you know, the strength matters, the strength of Cincinnati's defense is their secondary. You've got MyJ Sanders on the defensive line, who's a great elite pass rusher, but, and the option can kind of negate a guy like that because you don't block them anyways. You don't have mm-hmm. to try to block them because you can let him go and just let him choose his own adventure and whatever he chooses is technically going to be wrong. You know? Right. So you just do that and you negate him. And then the guys in the secondary, they're not covering. They're, you know, trying to play up and tackle, which since is obviously great at that, but they're also, you know, it just, it plays into your strengths a little bit more. If you're Navy, if that's the strength of your opponent, that's all. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, Navy did a really good job keeping it close 
but I also the whole game I never felt like since I was gonna lose I just right making some mistakes and maybe controlling the game a little bit better than other teams have and some like I kind of thought that UCF was going to be able to run the ball on Cincinnati a couple weeks ago and they couldn't and that was a large Mm -hmm. part of how they got blown out Navy could run the ball on Cincinnati you know what I mean and that's a large part why they kept it close yeah yeah sometimes it's just that simple it's, I mean, Navy did its job in that it, it only, Cincinnati only beat them by seven and that it is not like. good enough for yeah. the committee. It, you cannot have games like that. And if they have another one, then people are start are going to start being like, okay. Major issue with that because I saw someone on Twitter go, mm-hmm. oh, I'm supposed to take Cincinnati seriously. They just, you know, barely beat a one loss uh, or sorry, a one win AAC team. And it was an right. Oklahoma fan. And you know what they barely did? Beat a one two lane. Beat a one win two lane. I was there by the skin of their you know backsides. But to be fair, Oklahoma is not as good as everybody thinks. That's my issue. Well, my, that's with my Oklahoma. Thing if you're going to be saying one of these two teams should should get say the last spot into the playoff, then it's neat. Well, I guess Cincinnati well, over Oklahoma. I would rather. Yeah, it's still too early in all honesty. It is. It's more deserving in my mind because who's Oklahoma beaten? Like right. a four loss Texas team. Having seen both of those teams play in person, I'm telling you that Cincinnati is more impressive than Oklahoma, I think. Yeah. But I don't think that's going to be enough ultimately because yeah. Oklahoma beat Kansas this past weekend because of a fluke weirdo like handoff back <laughs> to the quarterback. That like, shit was crazy. That game was wild. I, I missed a lot of it. I saw that handoff. I missed a lot of it because I was just in, couldn't take my eyes off of Illinois Penn State. I mean, that's also fair. So yeah, there was a lot of so craziness. Bad. It was good. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, like in general though, like, you know what I mean? But that's my issue with the playoff committee is yeah. that Cincinnati struggled with Navy who has, you know, got a bad record. They won't notice that Navy has for the last month been a very good football team. The breaks just aren't going their way. They're just not quite finishing games. They really, you know, since the UCF game, they've been, one of the scarier teams in my mind to play in the American. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I know there's still limitations. I'm not trying to say that they're, you know, magically great, but they're really tough to play, especially yeah. at Navy. Tulane is not tough to play, especially at home. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, but Navy- knock Oklahoma for that compared to Cincinnati. If you hold them two next to each other, against, well, we know Oklahoma mm-hmm. and, you know, what do we know about Oklahoma that they, you know, have stunk all year. Mm-hmm. But we know that Oklahoma's got a big offense usually. Yeah. Their name's Oklahoma. And I hate that that's the playoff and <laughs> approach. Like, I'd like to say, like, at least Jerome Ford doing what Jerome Ford does. 15 carries, 90 yards, one touchdown. So he, in my opinion, is like the constant in all of the Cincinnati stuff. Ritter was fine, 18 of 30, 160 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. You hate to see. Interception. He like, yeah, you hate to see that. He, that's my thing that was just mentioned with Mordecai earlier. I don't know why Ritter's getting all the Heisman type from the American mm-hmm. because he's a fine quarterback. He know, he runs that offense very well. He's a great leader. He's not an outstanding quarterback. He's not an outstanding yeah. downfield passer. He's a good quarterback, but I don't get the hype around him as like a long-term prospect. I, I think that that Cincinnati team's much more of an elite defense with a good offense instead of like, you know, Instead of the reverse, which is what SMU is. No, SMU is the lead <laughs> offense with like a mediocre defense right now. But 
Cincinnati defensive tackle Curtis Brooks getting honorable um, mention from the AAC career high 10 tackles, three tackles for a loss in the win. And then on the flip yeah, side, do that for a D tackle. <laughs> yeah, but we love to see it on the flip side. Uh, Navy cornerback Jamal Glenn had a career high 11 tackles, half a tackle for a loss and an interception and an onside kick recovery in the final minute of that loss. So he helped limit the Bearcats to 271 yards of offense. So shout out defense, getting some honors there from the American. We love to see it. All right, ECU 24, Houston 31. What's the longest time you've ever waited to actually watch a game start because of a weather delay? That, you know, to, to watch a game start, I don't know. I've been in game with long delays, but I don't think that I've ever really had a start time. That's a Florida thing. And that's like a, you do get them in Florida. I've been through a couple of them where they, they usually know more than an hour or so. Okay. How long was this one? Five. Oh, that's why I I bring it up. This is the one game I didn't see. So that's probably because it started like five and a half hours later than it was supposed to. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Um, (laughs) You know, uh, Steve uh, Helbeck, who does a lot of writing on, underdog nasty he was at the game mm-hmm. he covered and i saw him tweeting about how like Oof. how like he was there for like 11 or 12 hours total by the time the game was over because it just wouldn't end and yeah, i that's... think they probably ran out of press box uh that cokes oh no <laughs> that's yeah, I my just, i just assume they ran out of soda at some point i, I gotta mention the press that's box the worst got ripped through yeah when press box runs out of coffee oof, it starts to get like Lord of the flies ish in there. <laughs> like people start to get feisty, but wow. What a, we both picked ECU in this game, by the way. I know. I remember. That's a fun, I didn't remember doing that, but I, I remember because I thought that was going to be my big surprise to pick. And you're like, Nope, doing it too. I was just like, okay. <laughs> Shouldn't have done it. Shouldn't have done it. Don't know why I doubted Houston. Cause they, the team that hasn't lost since week one, right? No. Shouldn't I mean, have done it. ECU continues to not quite be consistent enough over the course of 16 mm-hmm. minutes to win a game like this. They had a really nice comeback to force overtime, but you know, could you stop fumbling for just a minute? Just a minute. They lost three fumbles. Just in one minute. They lost three fumbles. They fumbled more than that overall though, including the very last play of the game in overtime where they fumbled again, uh, mm-hmm. running game abandoned DCU throughout the game. Ailers came up bigger later in the game, but for portions of the game in the beginning, he looked uncomfortable in the pocket again. It's well, you, a tough thing with ECU because I think they're a, a good team. I think that they've got it. They're very close to being a shockingly good team, but they're not mm-hmm. playing 60 minutes. They're not quite there yet. And, you know, hopefully next year at this point is what I'm going to say is they'll get there. I still think they can make a bowl game this year, but I just, they need to start yeah. winning close games is really what it comes yeah. down to for me is they, just keep stubbing their own toe in close games. And the losses are kind of their fault, not that the other team's beating them. You know, you lost to South Carolina. It was kind of their fault. They lost to UCF. It was a little bit their fault. Like this loss to Houston, don't fumble in overtime. You know, I don't know that they would have won if they held on to that ball there, but. Yeah, you know, but I we'll never know. But I know how they <laughs> lost, you know. Well, and you talk about that 
that fumble, um, shout out to Donovan. I think it's Mooton. I think how you say it, uh, linebacker from Houston. He was given defensive player of the week of the whole conference. And that has a lot to do with it is he forced, um, that was his second forced fumble of the game in that overtime possession. So, you know, basically securing the bag there a little bit, but he had a game high nine tackles, including a tackle for a loss. And, uh, two of those forced fumbles, which helped him earn that honor. He led a Cougar defense that limited the Pirates to one for 12 on third down. <laughs> yeah, that won't help either. One for 12. Yep. Hey. I don't really, like, I don't that, know. That, I don't think you good, have to say anything else to that. That's no, it. it's a, it was a really good defensive game from both teams, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and the 24 for like 24 regulation points that Houston scored, seven of them were a Marcus Jones kick return touchdown, which was they desperately That's, needed. And uh, I was actually going to mention that next because he was special teams player of the week for the AC Marcus Jones. And not only for that, player. yeah, he is not only for that 98 yard kickoff return in the first quarter, but he also had 132 all purpose yards, 121 on kickoff returns mm-hmm. and 11 on punt. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. He also had career eight high tackles as part of that defense that forced mm-hmm. three turnovers. So yeah, all over the place there. The McCaskill touchdown run in overtime was a great run by him. It was a failure in mm-hmm. tackling by ECU. Uh, but that often goes together when we talk about that type of run. <laughs> One team, <laughs> you know, everyone's got to yeah. do their part. Uh, the, like Clayton Tune and the Houston offense overall, at this point, I think this is what they are. They're a fine enough offense, but they're never going to wow me at this point. Right. They're never going to. What they're doing much better this year than they have in past years is he's not making bad turnovers the way he used to. Right. You know what I mean? And that was a huge issue in 2020 and 2019 was he would just, you know, the offensive line would blow an assignment instead of taking a sack or throwing it away. He would, you know, just throw it wherever and it would get picked off a lot of the time. And he's, you know, as an offense, they're not making those mistakes. They're not going to find that explosiveness to take it to the next level the way SMU's offense has, at least not this season, but that's fine. You know, we're what, you know, we're two months into the season. Now we, we basically know who each team is. And that's just what they are on off. You know, Houston's a really fine, not good, not great, but they're fine on offense with a really good defense that swarms around because it's just a ton of really good athletes that have come together. And I think that's going to be good enough to, you know, scare SMU in a couple of weeks. Yeah. When they get to play them. Yeah. That's going to be the game. That's for the, the soul for of Texas there. Yeah. It, I mean, it's basically for the right to play Cincinnati in the AAC championship at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's technically for that yet, but I think we all see that. I think, and I think, I think we all see the trajectory. It. They do, yeah. but if they lose to Houston, then they don't. Uh, yeah. But you know, Houston, just, Houston is just like a party spoiler. They're like this quiet, you know, six and one team that should not have lost to Texas tech. No, they shouldn't. Yeah, I just, I I told you way back when that happened, uh there was this adjustment at halftime that Dana couldn't make. And I thought at that point that Houston was going to spiral and they, I think took advantage of a couple really light weeks against like rice and grambling and Mm -hmm. recalibrated themselves before conference play. Now they're in good shape. They're in really good shape. Yeah. They, they, I know it's like, it's weird to say that, but they're like, I don't think they're as good as their record is. I still think it's a pretty mm-hmm. weak schedule they've played to get to this point. But again, two months into the year, you kind of are what you are and you are what your yeah. record says you are. You take extent. what you get, you know, you got to do what you can with what you're given on the schedule and they're doing that, you know, so good for them. Yeah. Uh, one last game. Yep. Best for last. Let's Simple. go bulls. Simple 14 USF. 
34. Yes. I'm the so South excited. Florida Bulls blew out the Temple Owls. And did you get a chance to watch this game on your ESPN Plus? <laughs> I actually have ESPN Plus. So, yeah. I do too. So. I did watch some of it. Yes. I, do I wanted to I like see the pink. Games. I wanted to see the pink in my article this week. I talked about how South Florida is celebrating breast cancer awareness and they had the pink gloves, which was all and like the pink armbands and stuff. So that was I, fun to see. I, I honestly that. didn't even notice that. Like um, because it's October, a lot of teams just wear it anyways. Like every like, so I just like, I don't think it, I tune into the fact that like, they're doing something special with it. You know what I mean? It's it was striking with the green, like, cause it was such a contrast on the field. So I, I think I noticed it. Um, and I love when teams do that for a cause. So yeah. I also love how you sent me, you know, pictures of the stadium, which had in all fairness, more people than that went to the Tulsa game. And that's all. I'll there say we go. See, we're going in the right direction it was, here. It was very red for this game, but you know, wasn't just more, more than last travel. time. That's what we want. USF is on that upward trajectory, doing better each time we see them. I'm proud of them. Yeah. Well, that's what we've talked about is they need to lay a base work foundation. And that's what this yes. season's supposed to be. Last season with COVID, with everything. I don't, mm. you like almost have to throw it away, which I know one wants to do as a fan, but you kind of had to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this season's like the real first year of good foundation building. If like last year you were, digging now you're finally starting to build up a little bit but uh this the two teams i thought were summarized pretty well when the usf on the opening drive of the game tried to kick a field goal and they snapped the ball over the holder's head and was recovered by temple and i forget the guy's name now but someone on that uh, usf kick uh extra point field goal is the phrase i'm looking mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. you were gonna get there one I, of them i, I made it he, he <laughs> ran down the guy on temple who recovered it which you know, oftentimes you wouldn't see the, you just see the light jog to make it look good on tape that you ran down. Yeah. And, you know, it's tackling on like the five yard line. Temple threw an interception like two plays later. Mm -hmm. you know I mean? he saved so it the, evened out. He, they got it back. Yeah, he saved points though. You know what I mean? He did. And I think at that point there was this kind of swing where you said, okay, one team's a little bit more interested in being here. Like it showed like just running down like that shows again, that effort that you want to see from a team like USF. Like, yeah, you came into this game with one win but you're still trying. You're not like, Oh, it went over yeah. the snapper and it went over the holder's head. I guess we suck. You know what I mean? Which is again, mm -hmm. it's an easy position to take of like, it's not my job to run them down. Like I'm just frustrated. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and on top of that, then they started running the ball really well, like people's throats. Jaron Mangum getting honors, mm -hmm. junior running back from South Florida, 152 yards, two touchdowns on 26 carries. Mm -hmm. He led an offense that set a program record with 421 rushing yards. Yeah, Look at that. Joiner had 126 on the ground. Uh, Batty had a uh, 77. That's off the top of my head, something like that. Yeah. You love to see that, like spread out. I mean, they of were, course, you, yeah. I mean, they were treating temple like a punching bag and which is like not something usf gets the chance to do all that often so right you know. they gotta do it while I you mean, can and then their kicker the also was great i see i love to see a kicker connecting on field goals like um spencer schrader did mm -hmm. he had 10 points in the game which is great you love to see when a kicker has i love to see it um he connected on 52 and 26 yards and was four for four on pat's um and he, he remained perfect on placements. You think that what? 
Do you think he would have made the kick that they basically threw? To yes. The zone? <laughs> he is perfect on the season. Nine of nine in field goals and 20 of 20 for PAT. So yeah, I think he would have, cause he's incredible. Yeah. Uh, okay. So okay. AAC honor roll honors for Spencer Schrader. I love when a kicker is on gets honored because it's we need we need more kickers or people too. Yeah, they yeah, are. They. they are. They are. Good job, Spencer. McLean I hope you're listening. McLean only threw the ball 13 times in this game, which to me is the craziest part. They just basically said, "Hey, but you don't need to throw today, do you?" <laughs> Whatever. If you're if your running game catches fire like that and you find that you can just shred them, then why waste the throws? Just I like that. Like that's good adjustment and good play calling. Mm-hmm. It makes me sad for Temple, but I was gonna say I to turn it to Temple, which I think is a little bit of a less positive conversation. Mm. I don't think Dewan Mathis is it. I think you need to try something else because yeah, he just he's not accurate with the ball. I don't love his decision making. He's a great athlete and he's talented for sure, but I don't think mm-hmm. he should be your starting quarterback if you're trying to, you know, win games. You know, and uh, I yeah. don't know, like in that same vein of USF is playing really hard and trying to do the little things right, even if it doesn't always work out for them. It kind of feels like the opposite's true for Temple. It doesn't feel like yeah. they're trying all that hard. That that Temple tough like mentality it's non-existent. It's, it just kind of feels like they're going through the motions waiting for the season to end. And frankly, between the two teams, only Temple has an actual, between these two teams, I should say, only Temple has a shot at a bowl game this year still. And they just look like they've already given up on the idea of anything like that. You know, I don't like, I mean, there's no tanking in college football. There might be years where you accept you're not as good and you Mm -hmm. try to build for the future, but just kind of be like, eh, whatever. Bowl games are huge for building for the future because you get like two extra yeah. weeks of practice. Yeah. And that can't be understated. Like even if the game itself is a blowout or like your guys don't care about going or the fans don't show up, you get two extra weeks of practice that people who don't win six games don't get. And that's important. And it's, it's my same issue. Kind of punting on whether or not they want to go, and want mm-hmm. to go which sucks. My same issue with them is, is their, the, how they start the game. I don't know if they just need like to drink a bunch of Red Bull right before, you know, like the Marshall, um, assistant grad assistant coaches, but they need to do something because these first quarters are the worst first quarters in college football no, for like, them. Yeah. I mean, I think this, their entire first quarter in this game, if I'm not mistaken, was that like drive starting on the five yard line that ended yes. up in the interception because the USF controlled the clock so well. Which, you know, again, because they were just running it right down Temple's throats because Temple didn't want to step up and smash them in the mouth back, which, you know, I wonder what like Rod Carey pregame speech is like, because you're right, they come out half asleep. I don't understand it, but I just, something has got to give. I know that their coaches are passionate coaches. Yeah, I know Um, you know the coordinators. Right, the coordinators are you know, they're, and they're, they're good. They're smart. They're, I don't know what it is. And I wish somebody would figure it out. Like whether it's a beat writer or somebody out there, I want to know what's going on. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So, and Rod Carey, how are you not long for this world at this point? You know, like, because Temple doesn't have a ton of money to get rid of him. I, I wrote about this back in the, like, way back. Yeah. Temple fans came after me big time when I was basically, I wrote an article, basically, Temple's got a Rod Carey problem. And the problem Ooh. was I didn't, I don't buy him as a head coach in the AAC. I didn't super buy him as a head coach in the MAC either. Yeah. And his 
because of the way that the Manny Diaz situation went down at Temple, they gave him a much bigger buyout than any other AAC coach really has. Like it was like $10 million for the first two years. And it goes down a little bit this off season, but it's still a lot more than Temple has to just throw around to fire a coach. So he's probably here for another year. Well, until it goes down again, you know what I mean? So he's got, he's got time to figure it out. Uh, There's distinct youth issues at Temple in terms of the size of the roster and how young the roster is. And those can't be overlooked. They, They are contributing factors. But in this game, USF has those same issues. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they kicked your butt with those same issues that you have. So I don't think that's a good excuse in this game. I think for the season as a whole, you can say this is a huge contributing factor to where we ended up, but not in this individual game. I don't know that it's, I, to me, it looks, and I've been doing this a little bit. So I'd like to think I have some, you know, idea of how programs are run and, and what's going on. And it does not look like a football issue. It looks like something else. And I don't, no, I'm afraid to ask, you know, like I could probably oh, yeah. find out if I wanted to, but I'm afraid okay. of the answer, sir. So they're in a bad mood this week. I get it. <laughs> I don't want to, they're in a bad mood every week. There's like never a good time to talk about it. And, but the, had to talk to yeah. them after they beat Wagner, who by the way, has one win since like September yeah. of 2019. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of FCS when they have Akron's not a good team. Those two wins make their record a little bit deceivingly strong in my opinion. And yeah. this game was, a weird weird fluke of a game that's all it can come down yeah. to is memphis is in this weird spiral right now and they've got their own issues and i don't think memphis fans are happy with ryan silverfield either but yeah you know which you know i think we've talked before about how like jimmy lake in washington like what's wrong there doesn't make a ton of sense because it's an internal hire silverfield's the same way mm-hmm. you think that an internal promotion would translate better and i know that's a little off topic from temple but you know what i mean it just yeah. goes to show that what the right hires is really tough to tell sometimes. And I'm not trying to write Silverfield off right now. I think he's in his second year as a head coach and he's still figuring things out, but you know, you can't spiral the way they're spiraling. Same with temple. You cannot, mm-hmm. you can't like, you can lose to USF this year. That's okay. If you're temple, you can't get blown out by them and make it clear that one team wants to be there and it's not you. you know? mm-hmm. And and that's, yeah. and, you know, Jeff Scott just got his first FBS win. he's got them, competing hard and trying hard. And that's a very good thing to see if you're USF, even if I still have questions about his game management skills or, you know, individual play calls. Those are things that you, he can learn over time a lot better than some guys just can motivate and some guys just can't. And Jeff Scott clearly doing a very good job of that to give him credit. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. He absolutely is. So All right. weird week, interesting week. We learn more and more about this conference, the deeper we get. So yeah, I went three and two on picks last week. You went four and one, Emily. Four and one. Is this yeah. my first win? I think you won technically two week. weeks in a row now, too, because I went one and two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I went two and one last week. Let's go. Two, two week win streak. <laughs> Would you like to hear the overall now? No, obviously not. Yes. Uh, I'm 48 I and 19 on the year. You are 37 and 30. 37 30. Still in that plus column. I think seven it. of those 30 are. Tulane, by the way. Yeah, I stopped. I had to. I was like, an, it was a bad addiction, toxic relationship with Tulane, and I'm I'm out of it now. Are you though? We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Yeah, I mean, Who they? yeah, they play Cincinnati this week, so yeah, I think I'm I'm definitely out of it. I mean, you say that, 
but maybe they will get into this false sense of security. You'll have to find out in the next episode of the podcast if I'm still. (laughs) Tulane's remain scheduled as their host in Cincinnati. I think we'll agree that that's going to go a certain way. Uh, Then they travel to UCF. That's UCF's homecoming. Do we agree that's probably going a certain way? Yeah. Yes. Then they host Tulsa. Then they they host Uh, UCF. And then they travel to Memphis in the year. So those last three games are going to get you. Uh-oh. You're going to go back to them. I got to see. I got to see because I don't know that Pratt's going to come back. Uh, he's had two concussions yeah. this year alone. Like, I don't care what they say, whether they classify them that as not, or he does the protocol. Oh. I was there for one of them. I saw it. And then, mm-hmm. you know, this one was definitely a concussion. He was out. He was like mm-hmm. out on the field. Mm-hmm. So how they progress forward without him in this, I don't know that he plays in this next game. We'll have to keep a track of that. I mean, we're probably yeah. record, uh, we'll probably be recording next like preview pod tomorrow. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I don't think there'll be news yet. I don't know if they'll even say it before it happens. I yeah. don't think. It, I also don't think it matters. I think I'd probably give them their game of rest because you're not going to win anyways, which isn't right. the right way to approach it if you're thinking about a competitive standpoint. But also, like, let's be realistic for a second. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So Um, I don't know that the the backup is. I I don't know that it matters who plays quarterback for Tulane when we do our preview. anyways. That's fine. But I'm wondering if um, maybe a fresh perspective, a new, I mean, they did go down and score a touchdown after he went out. So. Yeah. But they scored touchdowns when he was in too. Well, whatever. (laughs) No, they're not. Erroneous. Erroneous. Pratt's still the guy long-term. I know you've got your issues, but. Something's got to give. That's all I know. My hope is that Ailers uses his extra year of eligibility from COVID and comes back for a fifth year as the ECU starter next year. Oh my God. Yeah, he could do that if he felt like it. He could. He could. We'll see. So many questions to be answered in the following podcast this season. So stick with us. And, you know, Sunny Dykes to Texas Tech. No, that's just a no. Possibly. (laughs) That's a never. (laughs) All right. I think we're all set here. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wait, those six teams we talked about last week during the American that's official now from the last time we did this. So yes. Yay. Jazz hands. Uh, Welcome. We'll have to learn six new teams. That's what that means. Great. Great. Uh, More teams to, to get in toxic relationships with. Who's going to be, you are going to love gonna some be... FAUL. <laughs> oh my God. No. Please know the Charlotte 49ers, a little Will Healy. I do like a little Charlotte. I'm, I'm like a Will Healy. Yeah. They're fun. That's all I'll say is they're fun. Uh, fun. We will be back not too long from now, probably a day or so later. Like we usually are with the preview episode for week nine until then. I am Dan Morrison. You can find me at Dan underscore Morrison 96 on Twitter. I'm MLM E M I L N E M. All right. And we're off. We'll see you next time.